Hey, parents and little adventurers. Ever wondered where hot dogs come from? Dive into a world of wonder with the new children's book about cellular agriculture. Cellular agriculture? What's that? It's the science behind tomorrow's foods. Discover the journey of a family barbecue in a way that's fun, educational, and downright tasty. Grab your copy of Where Do Hot Dogs Come From? on Amazon today. Yum! The future sounds so delicious. Curious for more? Visit www.hotdog.fyi. Happy reading! Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. This show is intended for anyone interested in cultured meat and food technologies. We're excited to have Aaron Kim as the guest for today's episode. Erin has been working in cellular agriculture since 2014, when she started out as one of New Harvest's first volunteers while completing a JD at the University of Alberta. Erin's long-held interests in futurism, sustainability, global catastrophic risk mitigation, and really the love of food, led her to the discovery of animal products made without animals. Following the completion of her studies, Erin took on the role of communications director at New Harvest full-time where she brings a down-to-earth approach to translating the developments in New Harvest research into accessible content and community outreach. Prior to lending her talents to cellular agriculture, Erin spent time in legal advocacy at Pivot Legal Society and many years working in special education in Vancouver, Canada. Erin, I would like to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. Erin, tell us a little bit about your role at New Harvest and how you got started in cellular agriculture. So I'm communications director at New Harvest, which means I'm responsible for all of the written content that comes out of New Harvest, including a newsletter that I put out every couple of weeks, the donor updates that we provide to anyone who donates to New Harvest in any amount within the past year. That goes a little bit more in depth into the research that we fund and our annual report, as well as social media and any other content you see that's put out by by us, whether that's a blog post or something else. And I also um, help put together the conference that we that we do every year on cellular agriculture. And then just being such a small nonprofit, everyone does a little bit of everything. So that it also includes things like fundraising and uh, all that other fun stuff that comes with being a nonprofit. And then to answer your question about how I got involved in cellular agriculture, I first heard about the idea of cultured meat back in probably 2005 or 2006. And I I did not like the idea at first. I found it disgusting and kind of dystopian. But then nearly a decade later in 2013, I was a law student at the time. And I was kind of hearing about the idea of plant-based meat and cultured meat. And I didn't realize that there were so many advances happening in those areas. And I was also kind of feeling like I, I wasn't that interested in practicing law. So through a weird series of coincidental encounters, I guess, I ended up meeting the professor who taught Isha Datar, our executive director of meat science at the University of Alberta. And I thought that New Harvest was this big organization in the U.S. and that it was like 
staffed by, you know, a big team of people in suits and stuff. But then he he told me that actually it was just Isha Dattar running it all by herself out of a small home office in Toronto. And he urged me to get in touch and thought we would uh, work well together. And so I, I did that. And to my surprise, she she responded to my email and I started volunteering for New Harvest pretty much right away. And I just found it so interesting and exciting that I knew I wanted to kind of work in that field after. And so um, I ended up finishing law school. And then as soon as I wrote my last exam, I literally like ran home, packed everything I owned, and then moved down to New York to join the team full time. In reference to a blog post New Harvest published earlier this year, how has the overall New Harvest brand and mission changed over the last few years, especially now that more organizations and institutions are investing in cellular agriculture? It has changed quite a bit. So back in those early days, and to be clear, New Harvest was founded in 2004, but it wasn't a super active public-facing organization until Isha came on as executive director in 2013. And so in those earlier days of, I would say, 2013 to 2015-ish, hardly anybody knew about uh, cellular agriculture or cultured meat. And in fact, the phrase cellular agriculture hadn't even come into existence until 2015, when stuff was just starting to happen in this field, and we needed a way to capture all of the ideas of, of not just cultured meat, but also cultured leather and milk and eggs and other other animal proteins produced from methods, including fermentation and things like that. And so we needed just like this one catchy phrase to capture all of that. And so Isha kind of crowdsourced that on a, on a Facebook page that we had at the time. And bunch of ideas came and went. In those early days, we also were kind of throwing around the term the post-animal bioeconomy, which some people might remember. And that's kind of fallen. It's kind of faded out too. But in those early days, the language and the messaging was just more about getting awareness out. And it was very about the potential benefits of cellular agriculture. And I mean, we were also younger people at the time and probably a little bit more wide-eyed. And I think it was more, I guess, with a being grounded in science and um, and that has kind of cemented over time because uh, we've matured as an organization, we've matured as a field, although I still think there is a long way to go in that regard. And then we've also just matured as people. And I think that like the way we were talking about it as people in like our early and mid 20s is is a little bit different now that we're we have a little more experience under our belts now. Over the years we New Harvest has really our messaging has become a lot more grounded in science which I think is very important as an organization which funds scientific research and I actually in my last year of law school I, I took a course on biotech policy with an amazing professor at the University of Alberta named Tim Caulfield and he was hugely influential on me in the way that I I now communicate about science. And as a volunteer, before I took his class, I, and and of course the field looked very different then. We didn't get as many media mentions. And if somebody even knew what cultured meat was in a conversation like that, that was like a nice surprise. And now I think a a lot of people have like a general idea of what it is, but um, at the time, like any story, any positive media mention was something really exciting for us. But I think now we've become a lot more discerning about 
what kinds of media engagements we take on, what kinds of speaking engagements we take on. And it's just, it's a, it's a very sensitive field. And there's a lot of, you know, as people and organizations talking about about cellular agriculture and cultured meat, like that comes with a lot of responsibility because the average person just does not have the understand, like the technical knowledge behind cultured meat. And so I think most lay people, you know, you have no other option but to defer to the expertise of of whoever's talking about it. And um, the gravity of that responsibility has really just become cemented for us over the years. And so the lessons that I've learned from from Tim Caulfield and others just about responsible science communication and not overhyping things and looking at, you know, the the, the sources that are being cited when a, any kind of a claim is being made. All, all of those kinds of things are very important to me as a, as a communication director for New Harvest. I think also with so many more people in the field and so much more activity taking place, I think that's a really great thing because it gives everybody more room and more freedom to have their own, you know, have their own style and, and have their own perspective. And so it's not like any one person or group out there is, is the gospel. And, and there's, you know, differences of opinion, which I think is great. And I actually wish there was more of in this field. And, and that's true, both within New Harvest and outside of it. And I think that's something that's really special and amazing about New Harvest is that there, there is room in our organization for, for, I mean, it's a really small organization of just three people at this time, but um, we, we all come from very different backgrounds and we find we're excited by a lot of the same things, but then there there's different things about this field that are exciting to us as well. And if you ask anyone in the field, they're, they're going to have probably slightly different opinions on things like when products will be on the market and what those products might look like and, you know, all the different considerations that come up in, in these kinds of conversations. And I think that's a great thing. You know, New Harvest is, is a leader in the space when educating people about cultured meat and, and clean meat. And I remember when I was first looking, uh, just general information about it, New Harvest, the, the New Harvest graphics and website and description of, of really what it is and a basic rundown of, of how it's made uh, was one of the first things I saw and it was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think we've really laid a foundation for people's basic understanding of cultured meat and other concepts in cellular agriculture. And lately, I've been seeing a lot more mentioned in, in media articles and in just the public conversations about cultured meat, about vascularization, which is the formation of blood vessels in, in any animal tissue. And, you know, that will be something that's necessary if we want to make thicker and more complex cuts of meat, like a steak or a chicken breast, rather than just the little ground meatball and hamburger types of products. So I thought that was really a great development because we had started talking about vascularization far back as 2015 when one of our fellows was doing some experiments on that in her research. And I, I really think that the resources that we were putting out there, the photos that were coming straight out of the lab and the content that we were putting out on that research, I think that really equipped the people who are watching this space with like 
just a base of knowledge to understand the significance of that and what it means. And it really helps, I think, in getting that message across to people that it can sound very simple when you're describing the idea of cultured meat. And it, it sounds like, you know, yeah, if you can grow this stuff inside an animal's body, like, of course, why why wouldn't you be able to grow, grow it out, outside of it? And it, it's a good thing for it to sound simple in some contexts, but the reality of it is any type of scientific research, it's not so straightforward. It's not so easy to predict. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time and very specific expertise that isn't necessarily so easy to find. And so just being able to bring more depth to people's understanding of cultured meat, I think, is, you know, something that New Harvest has been able to do. And I think that that's a very important role that we're happy to play in this field. Let's talk about the marketing. We hear the industry refer to lab-grown meat in many different ways. And regardless of what the public will be calling lab-grown meat in the future, what's really the best way to refer to lab-grown meat or clean meat or cultured meat today? Um, well, to be clear, I'm not a marketer. I do communications for New Harvest, and New Harvest is a nonprofit. We're, we're not uh, one of the players in this field who are aiming to put out a tangible market on the, uh, sorry, a tangible product on the market for sale. Um, what we do is we fund open, collaborative, academic research on the science of cultured meat. And for that and other reasons, we've stuck with um, the scientific terminology of cultured meat. But to answer your question of what's the best thing to call it, honestly, I think every anyone can call it anything that they want. We've been around for long enough to have seen a lot of the terminology come and go. So a few years ago, there were mostly news articles, and I, I don't know where they come up with, with these names, but you know, there were they were using the word schmeat and frankenmeat and in vitro meat, which I think some people still use, but it seems to have kind of fallen out of trend. And then more recently, we've really seen this aggressive push for clean meat to be used. And I, you know, it's not a big secret. I'm not a, a fan of, of that word and I don't use it. New Harvest doesn't, you'll notice we, we never use that term, but other, other than this field and industry seem to really like it. However, a lot of people outside of it don't seem to like it. And I think that's something that should really be taken note of. And I would look into the reasons why and maybe engage in some respectful conversations around that. But honestly, I think Anyone can call it anything you want. I am more comfortable with cultured. And I think that this field is at such an early stage that who knows what other terminology is going to come and go. And I think that we're also so attached to these products, speculative products, I might add, being exactly like meat. And they haven't quite been exactly like meat, like meat that you would get from an animal. And so I actually wouldn't be too surprised if some totally new type of terminology arises when we get to the point of a product actually being ready for the market. And honestly, there's no way of really knowing when that time will come about because people have been making predictions about the commercial availability of cultured meat for a very, very long time. And there were people who were pretty certain that there would be a product five years after the unveiling of the cultured beef hamburger in 2013 and it's 2018 it's now five years and there hasn't been 
really the kind of necessary breakthroughs that would make that possible. And there's all of these unforeseen hurdles as well that are that are coming up, like um, how it's going to be regulated, the consumer perception and IP issues and other hurdles that, you know, the science alone is enough of a challenge. And then to add in all of these other factors, it, that those can all affect the timelines as well. To my surprise, a lot of times when I talk about cultured meat if to just, you know, the general public, they'll respond to me and they'll say, oh, you mean like the Impossible Burger, <laughs> which is, a, you know, a plant-based burger. But that, you know, yeah. from a marketing standpoint, they're, they're doing such a good job and, and people don't really even know the, the difference there. I, I'm actually personally quite confused as well about what the intention of clean meat is. Like, is it? Is it intended to also include plant-based? Because when it's used in some contexts, it seems to mean plant-based. And then in others, it means apparently cultured. And that confusion also, like, I'm not interested in encouraging that. And, you know, yeah, cultured meat might not be the most market-friendly, sexy phrase, but the meat itself is something that will be produced from cell culture. and. I think people understand that it's not cultured in the sense that yogurt is or other fermented products are. So it might not be the most, the perfect term for now, but I think it's the best we have for where the, the stage the, that the industry currently is at. When the time comes and when there is a, a, an actual product or products out there, who knows how those are going to be branded. It might be called something totally different. I, I don't see why it needs to latch on to our current understandings of of me but that's just I mean that's just an opinion and if you ask me in like a few weeks I might even feel differently so uh, you know we're seeing fast food chains like Sonic for example and what they're doing is they're blending their beef patties with a mushroom based meat extender as, as I think they call it and so when cultured meat hits the fast food chains, do you think that that will be a big wave of people calling it the, you know, lab-grown meat Big Mac? Or do you think that they'll switch over as if nothing has changed? I honestly have no clue. I think only time will tell. And, you know, people love to speculate in this space, but we just won't know until until we're ready. And right now, we're not ready. I think... I, I I find that second scenario you mentioned where it just switches over as if nothing happened, I find that very unlikely. I think that as more people are becoming aware of cultured meat, more questions are arising. That's something that I kind of, it's reasonable that that would happen. It's good and fine. And we'll see more of that. And I think that people will want to know whether the product was produced from, from cell culture or sourced from an animal. And I think that like anything in food, because there are trust issues in food that go beyond just cellular agriculture. And people want to know what's in their food, where it came from, how it was made. And I think that producers should have pride in in the product that they're making. And it, it shouldn't be something that you would want to hide or, um, you know, it should be something that you take pride in talking about. Like, for example, I've heard um, Ryan Pandia from Perfect Day Foods talk about how he just he really embraces the fact that they use GMO and um, it's not something that they want to you know gloss over. If cultured meat's going to be as great as as it's being promised, then I, why not 
label it as such and, and just be proud of that. But again, that's totally speculative. We won't know until we get there. So if someone is interested in studying cellular agriculture, are there any universities that you may know of that offer special programs with a focus on the topic? And what is really the best way that New Harvest gets in touch with different research projects? This is probably a better question for Kate Kruger, our research director. And as of right now, there are no universities with an actual program like courses being offered in cellular agriculture and degrees being granted. And that's something that New Harvest, through our research efforts, is really trying to to change incrementally. We definitely, in the foreseeable future, would like to have more universities offer like a degree program and graduate programs in cellular agriculture. But right now, there isn't really a formal way to get educated specifically in cellular agriculture. And the best way to get that is actually through a New Harvest Fellowship. So anyone that's interested in that should get in touch with our research director, Kate Kruger. Currently, we're funding research at the University of Ottawa in Canada at um, North Carolina State University in North Carolina, Kent State University in Ohio, two fellows actually at Tufts just outside of Boston, and one at Bath University in the UK. I mean, I don't think having one researcher or even two is enough to say, oh, this university is a leader. It's exciting and it's wonderful, but I think that it's going to take a lot more than that. And and I think that's that's okay. I mean, we only launched the research fellowship program in 2015, and it's, it's already in that time grown to six full-time researchers. Plus, we have these new categories where we're seeking grant applications for a postdoctoral fellowship, for seed grants, which are like shorter term projects. And um, we we granted our first seed seed grant in the fall of 2017 at the University of British Columbia. So there's quite a geographic spread. We definitely are open to funding elsewhere and internationally. And in terms of what kinds of backgrounds the researchers are coming from, they're all scientists and or engineers. So we haven't funded any non-scientific research in quite a while. And that focus towards scientific research in academia is is another kind of pivot that we took or a, a focus that took shape over time. And, you know, a lot of people want to serve this field in a lot of ways, but what it needs most desperately. I think all of us at New Harvest can agree and a lot of people in the industry can agree is that there's a real shortage of of the scientific expertise coming out. And that's something that we are trying to solve through our research fellowship where, you know, these are the people who are going to go off to start companies and and become CTOs at companies. and, And all of the companies that exist right now also need to be hiring experts and people people with experience in this type of animal cell culture. And other than what New Harvest is doing, there isn't like a stream of that taking place. So there's a lot of different benefits to pursue cultured meat. And for for you personally, what is the most exciting driving force? Is it the environmental aspects, the health aspects? What what really gets you excited about it? Well, I I mean there's a lot of benefits but there's also a lot of risks. It's not it's not the most stable field. It could it could honestly like go poof. <laughs> it's not a given. 
I think what initially got me interested was the fact, I, you know, I love animals. I went through this phase of being like, not even a total vegetarian, but I was cutting a lot of meat out of my diet around the time that I discovered the plant-based and, and cultured meat in 2013. And so I was really excited about the the benefits for, for animals and, and the environment. But over time, I have really come to appreciate the science and the excitement of being a, a small nonprofit doing like big and crazy things. And I've learned so much on that journey. And um, I'm actually really glad not to be coming at it from that vegetarian kind of lens, because not coming from that place actually is so, it opens so many doors. It just enables you to have really meaningful uh, engagement with meat producers and other meat eaters and um, people who work in the meat industry, just because I think, I mean, there's understandably some tension there. And when you can kind of help those people that you're interacting with, like put their guard down because they know you're not coming at them from an adversarial place, it's just so much more productive and peaceful. (laughs) And, you know, I, I eat meat and I have a real appreciation for how amazing and delicious meat and animal products are. And it's not, it's not going to be easy to compete with those products. And, and I say this as somebody who, when I was coming from that place of, of um, appreciating plant-based foods, because it, it meant something to, to me because of my love of animals. I, I noticed myself making a lot of basically telling myself that I liked these foods, even though it taste wise, they weren't really competitive. That that's just my opinion. I don't I don't mean to I speak for any demographic when I say that, but or or, or to hurt any feelings. But in my opinion, like I, I don't eat those products anymore. I, I just I love a full fat like dairy yogurt and I I love, you know, the occasional piece of meat and it like the smell of it and like the, the experience of, of eating like a steak, it's something that it's going to be very, very difficult to replicate. And there's a lot more work that needs to be done before we can get there. And, and I, instead of being finding that daunting, I'm actually really excited by just how much of a challenge that is, but I want us to be honest with ourselves about how much work it's going to take and, and that it's not going to be something that happens overnight. If we want to make really good products that can really compete, I think we need to be kind of hard on ourselves and critical and expose ourselves to the scrutiny of meat eaters and the meat industry and have real conversations and not just talk about how great this is going to be for the environment and animals, because those are great things. And you're you're going to reach a few people who are willing to pay a high price because that strikes a chord in them emotionally. But there's just a lot more people who have a more pragmatic approach to food and also just are who are in it for reasons that are harder to quantify and even describe. So there just, I think, needs to be a little bit more empathy and, and patience and understanding of that. So I think there's a long way to go for that in this field because it's still, it's still really small. And I, I don't think we've quite won over the meat eating general public, you know, they, they're curious and they, they're watching, I think some of them. And I think it sounds like a nice idea, but when you're actually experiencing the product, if it doesn't taste good, it's not, it's not going to fly. 
The other day, actually, I have to say, I ate, I went to this tasting for a cricket burger. It was really bad. <laughs> and um, me and like the other people who were at this tasting, like, it was this kind of interesting, like future food experience that was like novel. So, you know, you take a few bites and it's like, okay, cool. I'm eating this burger that's been made out of crickets, but you don't want to keep eating it. Or at least I didn't. And and everybody there did not want to keep eating it. And I, we need to be prepared for scenarios like that. And if it doesn't taste good and, and make people feel good when they're eating it, it's not going to have the impact that is being promised today. That's kind of, that probably sounds pretty downer. <laughs> You know, one thing I was going to mention is that um, the, the the thought of eating a, a cricket chip, because I've seen the cricket powder yeah. chips, it doesn't sound so Yeah, bad. oh, I like, I like those chips. No, those right, right. Personally, I like those. But when you mention cricket burger, that just sounds, yeah. it just, it does not sound very I good. Know. So. <laughs> I know. So. And like, while I was eating it, I was like, there were moments where I'm like, okay, that was the leg. <laughs> or like, okay, that, that was exoskeleton and i was like but is it is not. completely refined into a powder isn't it um you know maybe it is but and, and you know what maybe that was my perception of it as i was eating it so maybe it wasn't a leg but in my mind i was like oh god all i can think about is cricket legs and right and, yeah <laughs> yeah and i actually i should mention like i like the chips i love chirps <laughs> um yeah, it just didn't quite translate into a burger. It was cool though. Like I, I I commend the effort and and like I'm glad to have tried it. But uh never would I order that in a restaurant or even like it would it would take a lot of hunger for me to like want to eat that, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I I really don't mean to like hurt any feelings here, but feelings are gonna get hurt if we if we just kind of kind of blindly keep going ahead with this like this is going to save the world this is going to taste better and be better and it's like yeah we all hope for that but let's it's going to be hard (laughs) and there's going to be a lot of criticism and disappointment along the way what do you see as the biggest success in cellular agriculture that we've seen thus far scientifically speaking there has not yet been a breakthrough that's been made public so Unfortunately, I don't think that like a significant enough advancement has been made that's going to really, you know, move those timelines forward. But I think uh, regardless of that, the fact that there's now an international community of scientists that are working on this through the New Harvest Fellowship. And, and there are others as well. So like Shojin Neat, who is who are really awesome and very cool people, um, they're doing some very exciting research in Japan. And um, I mean, just getting even just the inquiries from scientists and and PIs, like that's huge because those are exactly the people that we need if cultured meat is really to develop into something that's real beyond the prototype level. So yeah, that's exciting. I also just like that. I like seeing the unusual suspects take an interest in this field, which sad to say that's like meat eaters like i i would love to just have more meat eaters meat producers hunters and people who go to like barbecue festivals <laughs> like those are the people you want to be reaching and it's that's not going to be a, a super easy sell it's one thing to get them interested in the idea but for them to actually 
Um, and, and for them to make statements like, yeah, I would try that, but I would try that does not mean I would, I would pay X amount of money for it on a regular basis. I, I like seeing the, um, more interest from those kinds of demographics rise. And I think that's going to be really necessary. We're seeing a lot more international interest. And just like it's real, it is really freeing. And I say this like from that communications perspective to like have the the public for them to have a better understanding of what cellular agriculture is. Because in all honesty, it was getting pretty old just doing the same old talk year after year, where it's like, okay, the Winston Churchill quote, all right, the uh, the four steps that are necessary to make culture me happen. It's like, okay, we all kind of know that now. Let's talk about more interesting stuff and the speculative. The speculation, I think, also is getting a, a little tiresome. I just, I like to see new, fresh, interesting content in this space. And like some of that comes from people like Oron Katz, who I'm a huge fan of. He's someone who, he's an artist. He, he uses tissue culture in his art. And he went through this trajectory of being really excited and, and wide-eyed about about cultured meat in his earlier years. And then over time, he became kind of skeptical and critical. And, and he likes to call out bullshit in this space. And like, I think that's, it's fascinating. It's entertaining. It's, he really gives amazing food for thought. And his talks are just so funny. And, you know, they, they prompt the audience to just ask themselves questions, which I think we need to be asking. And, and like, I just, I love that stuff like that's happening. And I, here's another thing that I think really distinguishes uh, new harvest is we're not afraid of, of critique and we're not afraid of like, of viewpoints that aren't so optimistic and so positive because not everything is going to be wonderful and amazing and we certainly want it to be but like let's be realistic here and let's be honest with ourselves and let's open ourselves up to to the critical stuff you know so that we can do the best job possible uh it makes us a stronger organization and it makes for a stronger field and industry i think in the long term and it doesn't mean that you wish ill for the industry it's it's just the opposite you want it, you want to make it stronger and so i like to see when the odd like critical news article comes out as someone who works in this field, like I am probably more, I'm definitely more cautious and conservative and, and more critical, I think, than most people in this field. And I think that that's necessary. I think that we need people who are in it, who can empathize with that view because it's out there in the, in the world. And um, you need to be engaging with people who share different perspectives and opinions from your own. And I mean, I, yeah, I find that very exciting and I would like to see more of it. <laughs> so there's an upcoming conference hosted by New Harvest. Tell us about the event and what attendees can expect at the event. Yeah, so um, a few years ago, um, we realized that there was a real need because so much of this community, it like it, it lives online. Um, there are not enough opportunities for people to kind of come together and just be in one room, getting on the same page about where the research, where the state of the research is at, and, you know, being able to interact face-to-face with each other. So in 2015, we had the idea of holding the first cellular agriculture conference. And so um, that first one was held in 2016, and it became an annual thing. So our first, our, our first was in San Francisco in 2016. Our second was in uh 
just this past fall in New York. And our third is going to be this summer in Boston. So that's just, I would say, whether you're totally new to the industry or you've been, it, you've been in it for a while, it's like it's like the event to go to where um, you're getting kind of the updates on on research as well as there's always these topics that like come and go that are hot. So it seems like regulation and and policy and IP issues are are on a lot of people's minds in the industry right now. And so we curate really great experts to speak at the at these events and and give their lend their kind of expertise to to cellular agriculture and it it serves everybody really well we attract a lot of um, investors and prospective consumers donors of course scientists academics and the media of course and it kind of just like gets everybody like the primer that they're looking for on cellular agriculture and um, it's a great way to just like actually meet and interact with everybody that's involved in cellular agriculture. So I would really recommend that for anybody who's even remotely interested. It's We always make it fun too. So it's not some dry academic thing. It's fun. It's accessible. We talk about the science, but in a way that's understandable and there's lighter content as well. So, and exhibitions, really interactive, like sensory stuff. And this year it's going to be at the MIT Media Lab, which is really cool and exciting. Cool. And what are the dates and what's the best way to get more information or register for the conference? Yep. So it'll be held um, July 20th and 21st at the MIT Media Lab just outside of Boston. Unfortunately, the early bird registration has now passed, but um, regular tickets are available at the conference website, which is it's http colon slash slash 2018.new-harvest.org, or you can just go to our, our website and that conference website is linked on there. And if you are a student or an academic in cellular agriculture, or it's just an academic of any kind, whether you're a PI or a postdoc, we have a really, really generous academic rate of $100, $100 for both days. And then um, if you're a biohacker doing science anywhere, you're also eligible for that biohacker and student rate. And if you want it, you can just email us at hello at new-harvest.org and we'll set that up for you. We really want to make it accessible to as many people as possible. You can get in touch with Erin on LinkedIn or by visiting New Harvest's website at new-harvest.org. Erin, do you have any last insights for our listeners? We're a nonprofit and everything we do is possible only through the generosity of literally still less than 700 people around the world. And there are people who give anywhere from literally a dollar a month (laughs) to, you know, people who give in larger amounts. And every single one of those people receives our monthly donor update, which that contains content that doesn't necessarily get shared on social media or on our newsletter. So there there's exclusive content and insights there that are of like real value, I think, to anyone who's like really interested in this space. And the all of the research that we fund, like that money, it doesn't come out of thin air. It comes out of the generosity of people who are motivated by lots of different reasons to give. So if you want this science to advance and you like, you know, learning about concepts like vascularization and and just kind of getting that inside view of like where what the research at this stage of the game looks like, I, I really don't think there's a better place to get it than New Harvest.
I mean, I'm biased because I write the content myself, <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah, people seem pretty happy with it. Erin, thank you so much for being with us today on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to being with you on our next episode.